Well, uh, if you have your Bible still open in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, we're going to launch into a beautiful passage, a beautiful collection of verses here this morning, uh, verses 10 through 15. And I want to help us uh, as we start this message. Uh, is everybody ready to purge himself or herself from a bad habit this morning? Anybody want to make some strides in your life, get, get rid of a bad habit? Okay. All right, ready. Uh, so everybody take your hands, okay? Put your hands together like this. Okay, everybody like this? Put your hands together like this. Okay. And say with me, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Isn't that cute? <laughs> At what age did you learn to do that? Probably most of some of you right now. Yeah. <laughs> For some of you, it's been a long time since you learned to do that. And uh, how many of your children or grandchildren have you taught to do that? Now, what's wrong with that? It's not the church, is it? The building is not the church at all, is it? We're very quick to answer questions like uh, if someone said, oh, hey, Pastor Brian, where is your church located at? Oh, I was, oh just uh, you go north on, uh, off of Washington Street, you go north on German Church, about a mile and a half. Uh, it's up there on the right-hand side. But that's not really the right answer, is it? If, if I answered that truthfully, if someone asked me, where is my church located, I should say something like, well, some of them are working in this building over here on 59th Street, and uh, there's some others over there in Greenfield High School, and uh, there's, uh, you know, there's some that work in this location down here in, in New Pal, and, um, and there's some in, in Florida on vacation right now, Right? That's how I should answer that question, right? That's the, the right question, the right way to answer that question. I had our pastor suggest once, and I kind of like the idea, that uh, we would all add two words to all of our church signs. Do you want to know what those two words are? Meets here. So the church sign out front would say, Heather Hills Baptist Church meets here. Right? Because the church is not the building. Now, we're thankful for our buildings. Uh, some churches don't have buildings to meet in. They rent places. Some places in the world, they meet out in open fields or in secret because of persecution. We're very thankful for our buildings. But they're not the church. You are. We are. And by the way, we need to teach this to our children from their earliest understanding as well. And, and Paul is trying to help the Corinthians to understand this principle. There, there's all kinds of quarreling, remember, going on in, in Corinth. There's all kinds of divisiveness going on among these church members. And Paul is trying to show them a better way, a better way to think, a better way to live. He's just described the church as a field a garden, uh, which Pastor Trey dealt with last Sunday. Some plant, some water, but who gives the growth? God. Remember the text? Now Paul changes metaphors from agriculture 
to architecture. He introduced this at the very end of last week's text in verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. And he's going to spend the rest of the text this week and next week talking about this building. And by the way, this way of describing the church is not unique to the Corinthians. Paul made these truths clear when he was in in Athens. Of course, if you know your geography, your Bible geography at all, Athens and Corinth are located pretty close together, right? In the same uh, modern-day Greece, Athens located just a little bit north of where Corinth is or was. And in in Acts chapter 17, um, Paul... Uh, went to the city of Athens. He went up to the highest point in the city. Still there today. You can go to it. It's called the Acropolis. There's a big ruins of a temple on the top. It's called the Parthenon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. And right next to the Acropolis is this big rocky outcrop that's called Mars Hill. And in Acts 17, Paul goes up there to Mars Hill where there's all kinds of people that are talking and, and milling around philosophers, thinking about life and, and theories. And, and he, re, he explained to the people there in Acts 17, 24, that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Can you imagine how that stung in their faces when they could look just over there, and see one of the greatest temples ever built in the world. And Paul is here telling them God doesn't live in temples made by human hands. It's a different kind of building. Now he needs to remind the Corinthians the same thing. He wrote also to the church at Ephesus, over in Ephesus chapter, or Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 21. Listen to this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members with, of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Paul's not the only one saying this in the New Testament either. Peter writes to the scattered believers of his day, and he writes in 2 Peter 2.5, you yourselves, church, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So as we look at these six verses this morning, in the next 30 minutes, I want to make three statements and ask three questions. So here's the first one. The first statement and the first question. Handle with care. Do you understand what you're building on? Handle with care. Do you understand what you're building on? Verses 10 and 11. I've taken the title of my message this morning from the sentence that concludes the 10th verse. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. I think that's the real question in our text today. The real concern, the real warning given in our text today. And Paul is going to show us why. We should take care. 
So notice in these first two verses here several things. Notice, first of all, God is the architect. The designer of this house, this building that he's describing is God. We know God is ultimately the author and finisher of our faith. He is the architect of what he has decided to build. He has planned it from all eternity. Before the world was ever created, this was in God's mind. He is working it out now according to the praise of his glory, and it is the, it is the utterly undeserved privilege of those of us who are in Christ Jesus to be made members of this body, parts of this building that God is is, is doing. God is the architect. Notice, secondly, Jesus is the foundation. Christ is the foundation of the church. There's no doubt concerning this at all. Look in verse 10. Paul says there, he has laid a foundation. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. But he makes very clear in verse 11, look what it says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about what the foundation of the Christian church is. It is Jesus Christ himself. Now, in the Corinthian context, people were attaching great significance to personalities. Remember? I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Paul. I am of Christ. Trumps everybody. Yeah. Remember? And so as he, as he now picks this new metaphor, this idea of building, he says, I want you to understand, Corinthians, that nobody can, can start laying down their own foundation when it comes to the building of the church. The only foundation of biblical Christianity is Jesus Christ himself. It's perfectly clear in the text. Now, on South Rural Street, in our fair city, is the first church, church in quotes, of cannabis. Heard of it? Their website reveals what their foundation is. Here's what it says. We celebrate life's great adventure by... Building on, building on compassion, good health, and love. They're building on something, right? Their foundation from their website is compassion, good health, and love. Now, those are all wonderful things, aren't they? But you cannot have a true church, a biblical church, without the foundation being Jesus Christ. We sang it this morning, didn't we? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her. And for her life, he died. We sang that truth today. It's the right truth. 
No church is a church without Jesus Christ as the foundation. Now go back to verse 10 for a minute. Notice that while Paul points out the very important distinction here, that while he poured the concrete, as it were, he laid the foundation, he was not the foundation. The foundation of the Corinthian church and the Ephesian church and the Thessalonica church and the Philippian church, etc., 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 was not Paul. Was not Paul. He laid it down, but he was not it. This is an important point for the Corinthians. This is an important point for us. No human being can sustain the life of any church. Pastors and preachers will move on. They will die. The only church that will ever remain is a church that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not on personality. He is the only reason for you to come to church. Do you understand that? It's not because you like the songs that we're singing. It's not because, oh, they have a really great children's program. It's not because, oh, you like this preacher's preaching or this preacher's preaching. It's not because, oh, I just feel like, you know, it's a family and they really help and encourage me. That's not the reason to come to church, though all those things may be true. The reason you come to church is Jesus Christ. He's the only reason that we're in church right now. It's the only reason. Notice thirdly, grace is the power underneath this building. Look, look back in verse 10. Let's go back and cover verse 10. Don't miss these opening words here. We, these are kind of words that we might just kind of skim across. According to the grace of God given to me. Think about that for a minute. God the architect has decided that he wants to have a church in Corinth, right? So he leans down out of heaven and gets his binoculars out and scans the earth looking for just the right person, religious person, some person who's totally committed to Jesus Christ, right? Wrong. Who did he get? Turn back to Acts chapter 9 with me for just a minute. Turn back to Acts chapter 9. Look at what we can learn about the founder of the church at Corinth. Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 1. But Paul, Saul, rather, sorry. But slip of the tongue there again. But Saul, still breathing. That's good. Well, what does it actually say? But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This guy's whole passion in life is the destruction of the church. Every day, Saul wakes up and he thinks to himself, I wonder how many I can get today. I wonder how many I can stick in jail today. I wonder how many I can take to the martyr's stake today. I wonder how many we can get stoned today. How many can we rub out today? 
And it must have been a great morning in Acts 9 as he, he wakes up and says, you know, I've had this great idea. I'm going to get letters from the high priest and I'm going to go to the town of Damascus and I'm really going to stamp the church out there. I'm going to do a number on them. And on the Damascus road, what happens? Paul meets the head of the church, doesn't he? And that's a big problem for him because Paul doesn't think that there is a head of a church, does he? As far as he's concerned, Jesus Christ is dead, buried. And all these people running around worshiping him are crazy. Well, what happens? Saul's blinded by the intense light. He's led to the home of a man named Ananias. The head of the church speaks again to Paul through this man Ananias. Guess what, Saul? You are a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Surprise. He gets his sight back. He gets baptized. He has a meal. And he hits the road. Now fast forward to the right to Acts chapter 18, verses 9 to 11. Acts chapter 18. His name is now changed to Paul. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Among who? Among the Corinthians. Can you explain to me the radical change in the life of Saul of Tarsus that brought him from where he was in Acts chapter 9 to, what, to where he was in Acts chapter 18? And can you do it in one word? I can. Grace. Here is a man who hated Christians. He wanted them dead. No interest in Christianity at all. And now he's founding churches, laying foundations all across the known world. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to the place where God's grace has changed you from a sinner rebelling against the Lord to someone who loves Him and wants to follow Him with His life, today can be the day when the Lord opens your eyes, when the Lord changes your heart, and if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you even right now through this word, I hope that you'll stay for just a few moments after our service this morning. Come and talk with me. Talk with a Christian near you. And just ask them, how can I become a follower of Jesus? I need to become a follower of Jesus. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection from the grave, to give you eternal life. He will do it. He will wipe your sins away as far as the east is from the west. 
He will give you a place in heaven, eternally secure. He will change you from the inside out. He will put his spirit within you. He will give you purpose and joy in this life and forevermore. And he does that because he loves you. And he doesn't do it because of who you are or what you've done or how much you've earned. He does it freely. It's grace. According to the grace given to me. Notice, fourthly, that Paul is the foreman of this building task, this building construction. The phrase he uses of himself in verse 10 is actually a technical term in the Greek language. When he says there, like a skilled master builder, a skilled master builder, it means I am the one that God made the project manager, the foreman, and I will bring the trades together, and I will instruct them on how they should do their jobs in the building of this church. What was the way in which Paul had laid the foundation? Well, we saw that back in chapter 2. Probably across the page or flip back a page. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. That was, that's what was happening at Corinth. But might rest in the power of God. That's how you know if you're building on the right kind of foundation in your church. If you are constantly confirming people in the faith and truth and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you know if your church is having its foundation laid correctly. If the people who are your teachers are continually bringing you back to Christ. Back to his atoning sacrifice. Now Paul's part was explained in these terms. This is what God did through me. And he says there will be others who follow. They're going to need to rely on what Paul relied on, which was the power of God and not the wisdom of man. Christians, can I ask you in this week that we've just completed, how much did you rely on the power of God in your daily life to live out your part in the body of Christ? Or did you, like I do, a lot of times get to midweek, get to Wednesday, and realize you've been living the whole week in your own power so far? And you're frustrated, and you're exhausted, and you're confused, and here it is Wednesday afternoon, and you're all annoyed and ticked off at yourself and everybody else around you because you can't make this Christian thing work like it's supposed to. And that's right. You can't. That's why Jesus said, remember in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Look up that word nothing. Nothing. 
in the Greek. Do you know what you'll find? You know what it means? Nothing. So how are we going to fulfill our task in the church? How are we going to build? We're going to do it by His power, not ours. It's God who assigns the tasks. It's God who empowers the task. And it's God who will give out rewards for the task, as we'll see later. Notice, fifthly, in this section, Christians are the builders. Christians are the builders. We all play a role in the building of the church, particularly here, I think, in this passage. He's referring to the teachers of the church, to those like himself who will, who will build on that foundation, build that faith, build that knowledge, that maturity in the people of God. What warning does Paul give us there? Look in verse 10 again. Someone else is building upon it. Upon what? Upon the foundation that Paul laid. Someone else comes along after him and is building on it. That's what we're doing, right? Our foundation was laid in this church at the very beginning when Pastor, I don't who was the first pastor? Was it Humphreys? Pastor Humphreys laid the foundation. The Apostle Paul didn't do it, although Pastor Humphreys had Paul's help, didn't he? Because Paul wrote down the words of Christ in the New Testament, which Pastor Humphreys preached to you, some of you who are still here. And that foundation was laid. And ever since then, Pastor Humphreys has passed on to be with the Lord. And ever since, people have come along and built on that foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. The warning, let each one take care how he builds upon it. And I think there's two words that are important for us to keep in our minds when we think about our part that we play in the church, whether you're a teacher or no matter what you do in the church. The first word is quality. Quality. The kind of work that you do. And the second word is eternity. Eternity. Quality because, you know, we're so forced into thinking in our Western mindset especially about quantity. We live in a world that is consumed by numbers. Everything's about numbers. Just watch the news, right? How many people have died of COVID now? How much the Dow Jones has gone up or down today? How many people were killed in this incident over here or this incident over here? How many votes the Senate needs to pass this bill? Or the, Everything is about numbers and quantity in our Western world. And we have to be careful about thinking that way in ministry. We want to be careful how we build. We want quality. We want a quality building built on that foundation. And secondly, eternity. Because we live in a world that only thinks in terms of here and now. Just today. Just this week. No, no, no. The church has to think in light of eternity. We're building people, souls, who will live forever. And so we want to be very careful how we build. If we keep these things in front of us, we'll probably build the right way on the foundation that's been laid for us. If we don't keep these ideas in our minds, we may be tempted to lay down a different foundation. 
And Paul says we can't do that. We cannot do that. All right, so that's the, that's the first big point. The first statement and question. Let me give you the second one. The second uh, statement is the day is coming. The day is coming. The question, how will your works be assessed? Verses 12 and 13. So if we're not so arrogant to try to lay a different foundation, right? If we're going to stick with Jesus, amen? Amen? All right, we're going to stick with Jesus, right? We're committed to that. We're not going to try to lay any other foundation. We're going to stick with Jesus. But we may also run the temptation of being so foolish as to build on the foundation using the wrong materials. Look at verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. Now, the list of materials here. You'll notice starting from the top, gold, and going to the bottom, straw. They represent decreasing value and increasing flammability. Right? And what Paul is saying is this. It is possible to build in such a way. You can build your church in such a way that on the day of judgment, no matter how apparently successful our building may look, we may be faced by the awful eventuality of seeing much of our work carry no eternal worth. We may think we are significant. We may think we're making a major contribution. And on that day, on that fiery day, when all comes to light, we may see much of it go up in smoke. In fact, Paul will say later in verse 16 that were it not for God's grace and mercy, we would likely go up in smoke too. Many of us. It's like we sit down in heaven, right? We get to heaven and we stink. (laughs) We smell like the smoke from the fire that has burned up our selfish works about which we have made such a fuss over the course of our lives. These are sobering words, aren't they, brothers and sisters? I don't particularly find these words easy to think about. But it is equally true, however, that if we have been faithfully involved, faithfully involved in building on the foundation, then we can also expect reward. But the key thing to notice in in these verses is verse 13. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. We are looking forward to a day. It will be the day of all days. It will be the day of the return of Jesus Christ. When, When a follower of Jesus anticipates this day, it makes them bold in their witness. It makes them pure in their living. And it 
it stimulates our desire for fellowship. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. Do you remember this very familiar verse? Hebrews 10.25. Listen. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day. If you wake up in the morning, every morning, and in your mind, a day is coming. And it might get here today. If you live your life with that reality in mind, it will make a difference. It will make you bold in your witness. It will make you pure in your living. And it will make you yearn for Christian fellowship, encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. So somebody says to you, you're not going back to church again this week, are you? Yes. Why? Because I don't want to bring discouragement into the lives of my brothers and sisters. I don't want to discourage them by my absence in song. I don't want to discourage them by my absence in bringing them a word of encouragement. I may sit beside somebody who needs to hear a word of exhortation, just needs a little nudge in their Christian faith to keep going. And my absence is their loss. Therefore, I don't want to give up gathering together. And all the more as I see the day of his return approaching. And what's up with all the fire in verse 13? Because this day will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. This is a picture. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol. It's helping us realize the judgment and the potential loss. We're not going to take the things that we've done, the works that we've done, in a suitcase up to heaven, right? And put it on this conveyor belt that goes through, you know, this fiery furnace and see what comes out the other side. It's a picture. But can you see this? Can you picture this in your mind's eye? Because we need to. On this fiery day that is coming as the fire sweeps through the building that we have constructed, it will consume everything that is combustible and it will leave behind only that which does not burn. In that day, the fire will sweep through Heather Hills Baptist Church. And what will remain? What will remain? The reformer John Calvin expressed it like this. To build with silver and gold and precious stones is to build in concurrence with the foundation. So we don't need to be constantly wondering in our Christian life, is this, is this wood or, or is this precious 
stones. What, 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 is, what am I doing here? What, what, you know, I, don't, I don't have to be upset about this. I don't have to be second-guessing myself all the time. Is this straw? I don't, I don't want straw. I want, I want silver. What, I, I don't, which is which? The, the text doesn't tell us. Gold equals this. Silver equals... doesn't tell us. It's not the point. If we are doing what the Bible says that we are to do with our lives, then we're building with the right materials. When we move away from the foundation, when we move away from the gospel, in our, in our motivations, and in our methodologies, then the materials in our hand that we build with change quickly dramatically to what will burn. This building has to do with our motives, with our methods, what, what comes from our hearts, what comes from our worship. I, I'm not going to be examined on the number of sermons I've preached. I can go to sermonaudio.com and I can see how many sermons Brian has preached in the years that I've been at Heather Hills. And I get to heaven. 573, Lord! Well, sorry, 600 was the, was the minimum. Poof! I'm not even going to be judged based on the number of apparent responses to my preaching. You know, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're not going to be evaluated on the basis of how many of your students memorize so many Bible verses. If you work in the mom house, you're not going to be evaluated on how many diapers you gave away. If you sing on the praise team, you're not going to be evaluated on how many notes you sang in tune. It'll be, why did you sing? Why did you teach? Why did you serve? How did you serve? It's the motivations that are judged. The inclinations of our hearts. The conduct that comes out as a result of that. The service that comes out as a result of that. That's what will be judged. And the way in which we use the gifts that God has given us is the whole issue. It's not a distinction between you know, wealth and talents and opportunity. For example, it would be horribly unfair, wouldn't it, of God if three rows from the front gets gold. Nice job, Joel. Five rows further back, somebody gets silver. Somebody else back there gets some precious stones. But somebody over here got a block of wood. Somebody else got a bunch of hay. Sorry. No, no, no. We all start at the same point. We all start at the foot of the cross. We start with nothing. We start with Jesus Christ. And he gives us everything. 
He gives us the things that He wants us to have because He knows what we can do with those things in His power and for His glory. It's about quality, not quantity. Notice quickly and thirdly, the last statement, the last question. Win or lose, what will you be awarded? Verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 is a very simple statement of hope for Christians who are faithful to the gospel foundation that's been laid. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. We don't know exactly what the reward is. doesn't tell us. But it's likely not just an individual-oriented prize that we could say, look at me! Paul hinted, I think, at what such a reward might be. Over in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? That sounds like something we want to know, right? Is it not you, Paul says, to the Thessalonian church, to the people? For you are our glory and joy. You know, our reward may be the collective and eternal joy of seeing how the people that we built in the church endured and grew and pleased God. And whatever the reward is, it will be satisfying and glorifying to God. The fiery pictures of judgment in the Bible. In fact, uh, this passage here, uh, which talks about gold and silver and fire and a day that's coming, is remarkably like an Old Testament passage. If you have time to read it, go back later this afternoon. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You'll see very much of the similar elements there. A day coming, judgment, gold, silver, fire. The fiery pictures of judgment in the Bible, and there are many of them, Old and New Testament, has often made even devoted Christians question whether or not they'll survive it, the day of judgment. Some are even tempted to say, you know, I, I fear that on the day of judgment, when I stand before the Lord, not only will all my work be burned up, but so will I. There's a lot of people that think that way. People who haven't been grounded well on the foundation of Jesus' gospel. I know people in my life that have thought that way. Verse 15 addresses this, brothers and sisters. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. The picture here is of a man escaping a burning building just in the nick of time. Escaping with nothing but his life. Some people have used this verse to try to support a doctrine of purgatory. That there's some kind of fire that 
purges us on our way to heaven. But in clear, clearly in view in this text is the final return of Jesus, the final judgment of Jesus. So that's not grounded here at all. And, we, and w- whenever we read verses like this, we need to remind ourselves of the truth that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there is no amount of wood or hay or straw or any other rubbish that we might appear with before His judgment seat that will ever put us back on the path to hell. Do you understand that? Remember the strong words of Paul in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The truth is, you may stand before Christ in the day of judgment and all the things that you think that you've done go But if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus, you are safe. The truth is a person does not get to heaven due to their own works or merit anyway, right? We get to heaven because of the merits of someone else. Namely, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So even if all of our works, all of our building were to get burned up On this day, we who trust in Jesus alone, who have been saved by grace alone, will be safe in the Father's hands, just as we have always been. Jesus took our eternal punishment to secure our eternal place in heaven. But let's not minimize the loss that's described here. Perhaps it's the exact opposite of the reward Remember the reward? Maybe the reward is seeing our work endure. The joy that comes through that. Surely the sorrow and the sadness of seeing a life's work that has achieved very little or nothing for the Lord that endures for Him and for His gospel. Surely that would be very hard to watch. Surely that would be devastating to watch. This is why it's so important to stay anchored to the gospel for our motives and our methods in ministry. We must not be drawn away by worldly, fleshly methods or motives. We must stay true to God's word and we must make sure that your teachers do too. I'll ask the praise team to return. We're going to sing one more song here in just a moment. And the song, by the way, is, a, is a, just a, a, it's a glimpse. It's our, it's our song of the month for next month. Um, and so you don't know it, probably. But it's so appropriate for the end of this message that I want to sing it. I want you to hear it. And then we'll learn it next month in, in earnest. Just a quick summary here of what we've heard this morning from God's Word. These verses, 10 through 15, they stress the reality of our hope in eternity. They stress the certainty of our security and and, and also the scrutiny into which our life and our work will be brought. We will not, as believers, be scrutinized, be judged as to our eternal destiny.
that's already happened on Jesus Christ. But we will be scrutinized, judged as to our activities in the body of Christ. And fortunately, since it was as a result of God's grace that we were ever included in this building to start with, right? And that's why it is also by God's grace that we are kept as a part of this building. Then we will continue to trust in God's grace when the building is complete and when the judgments are given because it's always been God's grace. And I hope that you will think these things out in practical terms in your ABF classes today. I hope that you will think a little bit about what this means practically in your own life so that it will prevent you and I from judging one another too quickly. And it will help us to evaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that it will also create in us a zealous spirit for building up the body of Christ in this place on the foundation of Jesus himself. And so I hope you get zealous about telling people about Jesus. I hope you get zealous about introducing unchurched believers to our church where they can grow on the foundation of the Lord Jesus. I hope you get zealous about these things, about your personal purity, about saying no to temptation and to worldliness and to lust and to all the things that distract us and, and, and tear us away and, and help us wander. Say no. See them as ugly and abhorrent and as things that will burn up no lasting worth, no lasting pleasure. Let's say no and build personal purity in our lives. The day is coming. It's coming nearer and nearer every day.